We must be in this context of the songs we've been singing, this sold out and surrendered perspective, having received Jesus as Savior, acknowledging Him as Lord. This passage I'm about to read only makes sense if that's the context you're in, if that's how you see your world. If Jesus is Lord, you're seeking to follow Him, then you understand what I'm about to read. If not, it's not going to make sense to you. And we're going to read some wonderful words here from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is addressing the assurance that the disciples will have as they go out on their campaign, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing the sick, doing the ministry that he's been doing. They've watched him. They're filled with a sense of, of God's power and his presence in their lives, and they're going to go out now and accomplish the things that Jesus has called them to do. And Jesus has already told them, you're going to experience conflict, trouble, and resistance. And he has chronicled that, and we talked about some of that last week. And here in this passage, he's going to talk about the assurance that they have. And it ends with this beautiful phrase about the sparrows. Somebody asked me this last week what the bird is in the care effect symbol that we have. Our umbrella organization for our Compassion Ministries is the Care Effect, and on the sea there is this bird. And they say, what, the, what is the bird about? Well, that's the bird we're about to read about. It's the sparrow that is in the circle of God's care, okay? Let's read it. Matthew 10, 24. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I want you to know when you leave today your status in the world. The status you have. You have student status. You're a student. Disciple means learner. Maybe you've been learning a long time. You are a lifelong student. You have student status. Be the student. Keep learning from Jesus. Be like him. Listen to his words. You will never surpass this teacher. Some mentors you may surpass in your knowledge and accomplishments, but not Jesus of Nazareth. He is the perfect Lamb of God, tested in every point like we are, yet without sin. 
He is man, but not merely man. He is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So all our long lives, however long they might be, we are students. We are learners. We are in the humble position of looking to our teacher. Be the student. It's your status. Be the servant. A servant is not greater than his master. Be the servant. You'll never be the master. You're never going to take over the top. You have signed up to be a servant and a student all your life. When you confess Jesus as Lord, you are looking to the one, the one who made the world, who holds them. He sustains the entire universe by the word of his power. You're not going to take over that position. You don't long for that. You are a servant. You are a student. That is enough. It's enough. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher. It's enough. It is sufficient. A sufficient thing for you in your status in life to be the student, to be the servant, it is enough. It is enough for the servant to be like his master. We are being invited by Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. They are tumbling out of his mouth to people to whom he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He is saying to them, it is enough to be like your teacher and your master. A lifelong pursuit to be like him. To be changed day by day, week by week, year by year until you are more and more conforming to the image of the Son of God. More like Him every day, growing in your understanding, in your behavior, in your language, in your attitudes, in your thought life. More and more like Him. Jesus is the Master. He is the Teacher. Somebody is arguing about the WWJD again. I read it just a couple weeks ago. What would Jesus do? That question that Charles Shelton fleshed out in a book, In His Steps, one of the most popular Christian books ever written. And this theologian was saying, you know, that's not the right question, what would Jesus do? We ought to be asking, what would Jesus say? Instead of what would Jesus do? He felt we really didn't have sufficient information to know what Jesus would do. I beg to differ with him. I think we've got so much information about what Jesus would do, and we're just not willing to do it. We know a lot about how our lives are not conforming to the image of the Son, and how our behavior is not working out like it ought to work out, and we're just not willing to do it. If we just obey in what we know to do, that would bring glory and honor to God, and it would bring life change to so many. If we just do what we know to do already. Say, if it had been enough just for the words to be, what would Jesus say? He's just going to send us a book. That's all we'd need. He gave us more than words. He gave us a life recorded by the four gospel writers lived out in their very presence. The stories of how he reacted to people and how he related to them and the things that he did 
that bless the multitudes. What Jesus did is as powerful as what he said. And his words and his deeds, they go together, so they're both great questions. What would Jesus do in this situation, in my school, in my family, in my workplace? I'm in a quandary. What would Jesus do? And maybe to ask the question, what did Jesus say that pertains to my situation as well? It is enough. You will not surpass him. You don't have to dream about being at the top. It is enough to be like your teacher. It is enough to be like your master. He's the head of the household. He wanted his disciples to be fully prepared for what they would find in the world, seeking to be like the Lord. He said to them, they've called the master of the house Beelzebub. There were some people who concluded in Israel that the country would just be better without Jesus. Galilee would be better without Jesus. Nazareth would be better without Jesus. Jerusalem would be better without Jesus. The high priest, in fact, said, you know, it's the right thing to have one man die for the rest of the country. If we just eliminate Jesus, we'll all be better off. You know, Jesus is an evil influence among us. They call him Beelzebub. He's demonic. He's bringing us down. He's tearing us up. We're better off without him. And so the religious authorities manipulated him until they brought him before the civil authorities. They put pressure on the civil authorities, and they hung him up to die. And the world was better without him. That's what they thought. They demonized him. He said he was Beelzebub, that he threw out demons by the prince of demons. They will do the same to you. There will be times when people will do you harm and think they're doing God a favor. That it's the right thing to do to get rid of you because you're a nuisance and a menace in your school or in your job, in your business, in your circles. You may have already encountered people who once you trusted Jesus, they just wanted you out. They didn't want you in your, their circle anymore. And when you come around, it makes them nervous, makes them upset. They feel judged just by your presence. The world they think is better without you. If they did this to the household master, what do you think they'll do to the servant? If you truly reflect the master, if you really follow the teacher, if you are like him, prepare for the moment when you must make the choice. Will I follow Jesus? Will I be like him? Will I be honest? Will I speak the truth in love? Or will I go along and not cause trouble while there is injustice done to somebody or dishonesty or theft? Will I line my pockets like my comrades with the unjust gain from unsuspecting people or am I going to say no? Will I be the one dissenting voice? Some of you have already faced that dilemma. Young people, you will face it one day. Everybody will join in to propagate a lie, and they'll want you 
to join into. And when you don't, they will say, the group is better off without him. He's a menace. He's a threat. Expect that your student status and your servant status may bring you to the same place that it brought Jesus. And if it happens to you, if they say lies about you and they slander your name and they suggest things about you that are not true and they throw you out of the group, you just remember this. You got enough like the Savior that his enemies got you confused with him. Who they really want to get rid of is Jesus. And they're getting rid of you because you look too much like him. It's actually a good place to be. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Great is their reward in heaven. That's how they persecuted the prophets that were before you. You have student status. You have soul status. You are eternally secure. You are in the hands of the everlasting God. And you are not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of people. Do not be afraid of circumstances. Do not be afraid of situations. Do not be afraid about the world. Do not be afraid of what's coming on the world. Do not be afraid. Your fear will distract you. It will take you off point. It will detour you from what God wants to do in your life. Your fear will tie you up and paralyze you. Do not be afraid. Can you hear me? Can you hear Jesus? I don't know how many times he said this to his followers. Do not be afraid. Jesus says in this passage, do not be afraid of the people who can kill the body, and after that they have no power over you. You've got to think like Lazarus who came out of that grave after four days. <laughs> Whatever they take down here is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Amen? Hey, they can't touch what's really important. They cannot. So do not be afraid of those who might be able to steal your reputation or steal your goods or take your job or somehow slander your name. Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Do not be upset about the world and where it's going. Fear ties you up and brings you down and takes you off point. There's one fear Jesus permits in your heart. One fear. Fear the Lord. Serve the Lord and fear him only. This is the reverential awe that we just sang about. Our God is awesome. And in the word awesome is that trembling spirit of reverence where we come and bow down before him and lay our lives before him knowing that he is the awesome one, the glorious one. There is no other like him. This is the fear. He is the one. In the NIV, one is capitalized. I don't know if it's capitalized in your Bible. This is a 2012 NIV, by the way. They edited it, and I've had some people ask, well, what happened to the Bible? <laughs> 
What are you reading now? Well, this is the new edition of the NIV. The 1984 is harder and harder to find. They're not going to publish anymore. So it's a nuisance, but this is it, okay? And in the NIV, they capitalize the one. That's because they know it refers to God. It's not about the devil. I've heard people say, well, Jesus is saying fear the devil here. No, no, it's not the devil. The devil is a two-legged ant with terminal cancer compared to the one you ought to fear. Don't be afraid of him. You resist the devil and he will flee from you, all right? We don't need to be afraid of him. We don't need to be focused on the devil. You fear the one. You reverence the one. You put on your heart for the one. Capital O. The Lord of glory. The Father who made this heaven and earth. You fear him and him alone. Hugh Latimer was a preacher who was called before King Henry VIII to deliver his message. He records that he said to himself, Latimer, Latimer, remember that the king is here. Be careful what you say. And then he heard the Holy Spirit speak into his heart. He heard Latimer Latimer, remember that the king of kings is here. Be careful what you do not say. And Latimer preached the truth of God's word, fearing not the king on earth, but only the king of heaven. They burned him at the stake. But this is the power of a gospel that fears God alone. It is the power in your life that releases you to do the right thing. When the times get tough and the choices are hard and you must decide, the thing that gives you clearest focus is this single fear of God. For 300 years, they persecuted people like you and me who said they believed in Jesus. Ten generations marched through the Roman Empire with 16 organized persecutions of the church. They say there are 600 miles of catacombs that these Christians dug under the great city of Rome where they hid, where they worshiped, where they buried they're dead. Historians say four million bodies were buried in the catacombs under the city of Rome in the fierce persecution of the church. The most favorite symbol on those graves is the sign of the fish. The children had it in their class this morning. The sign of, the fi- of, of ichthus, which is the Greek word for fish, It is an acrostic for Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. Generations of people like us embrace the truth that Jesus was Savior and Lord, Son of God, sent to redeem us. And even though it cost them their lives, they stayed faithful, they held true, 
They feared only God. That's your eternal security. It's your soul status. You've got student status. You've got soul status. And you've got sparrow status. <laughs> okay? I know. That little bird just weighs an ounce. He's only six inches long. He dances on the sidewalks everywhere, it seems, where they're human habitation. Do you know they were introduced to North America in 1852 in New York? They had a little ceremony. They turned the sparrows loose. They called them house sparrows. The sparrow has practically conquered the Western Hemisphere. They are everywhere. They're the ones that chase the scraps of bread at the restaurants in our beautiful city. The house sparrow. Its technical term has domesticus in it because it's almost like a domesticated bird, though not quite. They sold them for a penny, for a pair. And Jesus said, Jesus said, not one of them falls to the ground. Think of the millions of sparrows in the world. Millions and millions of sparrows. Not one of them falls to the ground outside of your father's care. Imagine a great big circle of care that the Father in heaven draws around all that he cares about and all that he loves, all that is important to him. The sparrow that falls is not outside. The circle of his care not just his attention, not just his knowledge. It's the circle of his care. Jesus was teaching us something about the Father in heaven who made, made all that there is. He cares about the sparrows. And Jesus knew that a sparrow was such a small thing compared to a human. So he concluded this by saying, you are of more value than many sparrows. Think about your daily status. You have sparrow status. You are in the circle and under the umbrella of God's care. God cares for you. God cares for you no matter what you've done, where you've been, or all your history. God cares for you no matter your shame or the guilt that might be on your heart. God cares for you despite the things you might have done to hurt other people or yourself. God cares for you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The circle of God's care for you is established primarily at the cross of Jesus Christ where God gave his son on your behalf. The question of God's care for you is settled there. It's done. Does God love you? Yes, he does. Is he watching over you? Yes, he is. How do I know? Because Jesus died for me. If God cares for the sparrow, God cares for you. Bow with me, please. Somebody in this room is afraid. You wake up in the morning and you are afraid. You go to bed at night and you are afraid. And it's a hold the enemy has on you and it's distracting you from the important work God's given you to do. And the only way to break that fear is to fear God alone and trust him completely. You gotta transfer the burden, the trouble that seems to lo loom in front of you to the shoulders of the one who knows everything and is powerful to accomplish his purpose. Dear God,
You know the fears inside of us, how often we are afraid. It's all of us, Lord. You said it so much because we do it so much. We get anxious and afraid about things and people, situations, what might happen in our lives, our family, our world. We pray, God, that you will teach us how to fear you alone, how to trust you every day, how to live as students and servants under the umbrella protection of our teacher and master. Thank you, God, that you are head of the household, this household of faith, and we are members. Make us like yourself, not only sufficient for you, but sufficient for us too, to be like our master and teacher, even more like him today for having gathered here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.